Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Coming up in this edition of the TV Black Box, Big Brother fans blast Channel 7 over the airing of a controversial scene, the ruling that could change reality TV forever, and we talk to Sunrise Weather presenter Sam Mack as he opens up about the impact of working on breakfast television. Welcome to the podcast where people in the TV industry get their news. TV Black Box is about to start. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. This is TV Black Box, bringing you the inside goss from the TV industry. And a big hello to everyone listening to the TV Black Box podcast. And we've just announced that you can get the TV Black Box newsletter. Just go and subscribe at tvblackbox.com au slash newsletter where we will bring you breaking stories opinion pieces and plenty more hope you can join us and get that delivered straight to your inbox each week in the meantime it's another big week for us to discuss what's happening in the world of television and for that i'm joined by rod morris who works on just about every tv show in the country hello rod hello rob hello everybody welcome to may uh yes indeed aaron ryan is a contributor to the tv black box hello aaron Hello, gorgeous people. And even though I uh, work with TV Black Box, I have signed up for the newsletter. I'm already in there. Excellent. Good. I did notice that. And Sarah Monaghan. She's everywhere, but she's not in Australia. But we want her to be soon. Hello, Sarah. Hi, I'm in Texas and no guarantees on what animal sounds we get today. <laughs> A return of the donkey. Wouldn't that be nice? Well, there's no donkeys, but the neighbour does have sheep, goats and pigs. Ah, okay. Well, there's a lot coming up in this edition, but let's get into it. Because Channel 9 has been criticised for exceptionally poor communication after the sacking of dozens of staff across regional Australia and leaving many in limbo about their departures, according to The Australian. As the network prepares to swap its affiliation agreement from SEA to WIN on July 1, it means the network will no longer need to provide regional news bulletins as WIN already provides that service. According to the report, one inside said many staff were extremely upset and had been left in limbo not knowing whether they still had a job with Nine, would be given a redundancy or would be offered help to find work elsewhere. Rod, there's no doubt the loss of jobs is disappointing. I'm not sure Nine can be painted as the bad guy here though. Well look, they're a business they've got to rationalise down the way they do things. The one thing I noticed with this was uh, who was it that propagated the story everywhere? It was the News Limited Press. So is it, you know, is it being made a bigger deal of because News Limited have having a shot at Fairfax Nine? Um, I think it's a fair story. Yeah. I, I think Nine would have run the same story if it was another company yeah. and they have reported on the losses and redundancies. The issue here is that Nine, no longer as part of their affiliation agreement, yep. need to provide a new service. Yeah. So that does lead to redundancies. If 
SEA wants a new service. They have to talk to 10 as part of those negotiations and get a new service happening. Yeah. Nine aren't a charity case. They don't... You know, I, I think the Nine Newsroom is disappointed. I think they genuinely liked having all these regional news services. But the simple fact is... It's not their gig anymore. No. Nah. And, and again, it's just a rationalisation of everything with free-to-air television. It's like they've got to look at it as a business and say, well, but that agreement's changed and they, they've just got to move ahead with the times. So does that mean there's no regional news anymore? Uh, there is. So Wynn does news services, um, but not everywhere. 10 doesn't do any localised news services. You know, they barely do state news bulletins. And I'm not being pissy when I say that, but we've talked about how... Uh, the Queensland News Bulletin comes from Sydney, the Adelaide News Bulletin comes from Melbourne, and I think Perth comes from Sydney as well, from memory. Um, they do that very well. The way they integrate the localised news is actually very, very well done. But they're not doing localised uh, bulletins. And Nine took over localised bulletins regionally when they did their deal with SCA. They, um, as part of the deal, Nine... Uh, contributed to getting those newsrooms up and running. Now, the problem is, in places like Albury-Wodonga, uh, wind doesn't operate there. Doesn't Well, it operates there, but it doesn't have a local news service there. So the only news service left will be Prime 7. So there's little bits and pieces along the way where there's going to be loss of services. We still don't know SEA's plans. The most likely scenario is they'll do some local updates throughout the night. Mm. So if you live in somewhere like Orange or Mudgee or, you know, back of Burke, mm. how do you, do you get local news at all? Or is it only your local, like, radio stations that you get? Local, local radio news? stations, most have a local paper, uh, but even local papers are becoming consolidated now where they're all joining forces. Uh, news Corp have announced that they're joining a lot of local papers uh, and just uh, individualising some of the content. Um, but the simple fact is, this is the world we live in, where local localism, when it comes to the delivery of news, is becoming harder. It's expensive. The advertising is not there. And so you can't just do it for the sake of doing it. Nine have no need to do localised news when they've got an affiliate partner that does its own local news. Do you think there's you know? an opening then in the market for someone new to completely change the way that local news is done? Meaning, Look, you know, instead of it being driven by great big behemoth corporations, that there are, like, yeah, sure, there are the, the small local newspapers and radio services, but, like, if you look at, like, Mike Goldman's involved with Australian Online News, they're trying to do that. They're trying to build a whole new media uh, platform, I would suggest, or I'd describe it as. Yeah, I think that's a hard proposition, and you see it with Ticker News as well, mm. that, which Ticker is actually um, finding its place within the market and by all accounts is actually doing very well. It's, it's just expanded into Singapore and the UK, where they've got bureaus over there. They're moving into a big new facility. So it looks like Ticker is taking those next steps, but that's not localised news. Yeah. And what you're saying is very different. Could someone start up a local internet news service in Wagga? Yes, you can. Yeah, I guess if you're a YouTuber in somewhere in a small town, you could become the news person, have your own, like, newspaper-type Yes, blog. but the marketing, getting your word out there, the resources on doing it, it's a very, very difficult mm. task. You know, so it's it's certainly not an easy thing. I think it's I think it's important to understand though what the crux of that story actually was though. It wasn't questioning whether 
there should be redundancies because I think everyone understands the affiliation change with the news. It was actually about how these uh, redundancies or how these job washes were actually being handled by Nine. I think that was actually the case. And whether they're a media outlet, a bank or a supermarket, there are people's lives and livelihoods that, that are at stake. So handling redundancies, um, moves within the company, straight out job losses that should be handled with care, with as much notice as possible, with kindness and humanity. Now, I'm not saying that Nine aren't doing that, but I think the crux of the story was about how Nine was handling these these um, redundancies and how much notice they were giving these employees. And it just some employees felt like it was just you know they're just sitting around still waiting to this day what's happening. You know, and, and it's all over the place. I think that was the crux of the story. Though. I think that's so unfair. This story came out early this year. We're still two months away. Like, they're in a newsroom. They know that their jobs are going. Like, I, I don't mean to be harsh when I say this, but the jobs are going. They're not going to exist. So, yes, some might get absorbed into the Metro newsrooms, but not many. The simple fact is, look for other work. And... You know, Nine would be working out, and I know Nine have been having conversations about how they look after the staff. These things take time. But the idea that you don't have notice about what's going on, I think, is a load of hogwash. Yeah. Well, they filmed 24 hours a day, but fans of Big Brother are outraged. The Seven Network has aired footage of a housemate receiving some devastating news. Now, we're going to play the audio for you so you can actually understand the story. This is what happened when Jess went into the diary room. Hey. Hey Jess. <laughs> Obviously I didn't want to speak to you, but we need to. Um, we need to tell you that Nana isn't doing too great. <laughs> they found out that it was cancer. <laughs> Tumor. <laughs> um, and it's not, not very long. According to the Daily Mail, fans thought the network went too far showing the footage of AFL player Jess Trend in such an emotional state, saying the producers were milking a family tragedy. Sarah, when you sign up for Big Brother, you're filmed all day, every day. I mean, there's even cameras in the toilets. Isn't it fair enough for the network to show this? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I think people should be grateful that they at least let someone call in and tell her, considering that normally you're locked off from the outside world. And, I mean, they could have just said, well, we're not telling her at all and let it happen, and she found out once she came out. Um, and I think, you know, if you're in there, you know that you're either going to miss everything or it's going to be filmed. Um, but, I mean, maybe they could have asked her if they wanted the footage shown. Well, presumably, if she didn't want the footage shown, she would have said something and they would have taken that into consideration. Yeah, I mean, I think that it humanises people. Everyone goes through loss, and this is a way for a reality show to show people, other people have lost and experience loss and that everybody grieves and everybody has a hard time. And I think that, you know, it, it's a hard situation. Like, if they didn't show it, people would be like, well, she went through this thing and somehow they didn't show mm. it. So I think no matter what you do, someone on Twitter is going to be upset about it. <laughs> Hey, Rob, just, just a discussion on this point. I literally just got an email 10 seconds ago because I knew this was coming up. So um, I can confirm uh, Endemol Shine did get permission from Jess to have this actually go to air. 
Oh, that's good. That's great research. Well done, Aaron. Um, and I think it's the big question everyone's been asking. But the simple fact is uh, that played into her narrative, Rod, didn't it? Because she used that as a way of going forward in the challenge. She used what was going with her, going on with her grandmother for motivation to help her win the challenge. Yeah, look, as I watched that go to air, I felt uncomfortable and I thought, no, they're, they're making too much of this her story or the the nana became too big a part of the story and yeah as you say she turned that into currency to try and help her and i mean she did it in a malice way but it actually played into her hands from a game point of view um in that you know suddenly everyone's she's got the sympathy vote i must admit i don't never like it in big brother when too much of the storylines about people outside the house be it family friends whatever boyfriends lovers um and then the old days in terms of life changing events like the death of, of someone we'd there'd be a certain list of things that we'd say to all the housemates look if there any is there anything that if it happens on the outside world you want to know about like if your pet dies your dog dies or whatever and they'd give us all a list of things and it would be a private conversation and yes we had housemates in the old days i remember one of the girls figured her name her father died while mm. she was in the house and so, you know, it's a, it's a difficult thing from production's point of view, but, you know, it is all thought out in advance, and I'm sure that Nana's health would have been something that Jess wanted to know about. I just thought editorially they made too much about it. Um, and I think, like a lot of aspects of Big Brother this year, it was overproduced with all the music. Um, it, didn't need, it didn't need to be... Oh, seriously, it's, that's one of the things that's bugging me. It's overproduced. So this it, is know. where you and I disagree. <laughs> I'm loving the production of Big Brother this year. I think... They are doing the things I would have done. I would have absolutely aired it. I would have put the music to it. I would have drunk every emotional beat out of that scene. Yeah, which they did. And look, don't get me wrong. I, I admire the craft of everyone that's working on Big Brother this year. They're doing a great job. I just think there's enough... There should be enough storyline with the cast because the cast is great this year. You've got some really good characters. Just give it some breathing space. Let it let the narrative play out naturally. Not everything has to have violins and, you know, a big <laughs> soundscape behind it for the whole 76 minutes. And that was an example. I thought, no, they're overproducing that. But just my humble opinion. Uh, we like your opinion. I respectfully disagree on some aspects. I did in my review of Big Brother give it six stars out of five. I think what they've done this year has been amazing. Well, Channel 7 has been ordered to pay a Marg Kitchen Rules contestant ongoing compensation of $22,000 a year for psychological injury sustained from appearing in the hit show. In what is the second reality TV compensation claim to hit the network, as news.com.au first reported, Piper O'Neill, who appeared on the 2019 season of the reality cooking competition lodged a workers compensation claim against the broadcaster in august last year seeking payment of close to one thousand dollars in weekly benefits starting from december 24 2018 in her workers compensation claim under her married name piper green she alleged that she had sustained psychological injury over the course of her role in the show due to vilification and bullying from producers and the network and in what is one of the most bizarre statements put out by a network this year, Seven told news.com.au, and I quote, We refuse any claims in this case. There has been no settlement or lump sum payment. As this matter is ongoing, we have no further comment. But the spokesperson declined to elaborate on what that meant. Uh, Aaron, I actually, as I say, I don't know what that means because there has been a ruling, but let's move on. With this ruling, will it change the very nature of reality TV and the employer-employee relationship with production companies? Well, I think so. And, and is that 22000 for the rest of her life, is it? 
uh, on for the foreseeable future, for sure. That's extraordinary. Um, I, you know, at one stage I was just like, how. How is it that you sign up for a TV show like this and then you get to a point like this, you know, you have to accept that if you go onto a show that these sort of things happen. That was my my point. But I tell you what, quite recently I've changed my opinion, especially after the, the Jason Roses thing, which I know that we're going to talk about later, um, where networks will actually play uh, private recordings and then put them to air when you didn't even know that they, you know that they, they were going to go to air. And and as an, another example, um, an MKR producer admitted that when they wanted to paint someone as the villain, they would just use only their negative reviews. So they might give out four reviews, real positive reviews to all these people, and on the last one they give a positive review for the entree, a positive review for the dinner, but then say that the dessert is tastes like cardboard. But that's the only thing that goes to air. It wasn't mm. the dessert tastes like cardboard. So I, I can actually see how, yeah, you did say that the dessert tastes like cardboard. I get that. You said it. It was out there. But when you actually said over an hour and a half period, glowing reviews for all of this food stuff, and then the only thing that goes to air is, oh, this tastes like cardboard, I can actually see how people can be portrayed differently on, on air. So, I mean, I'm not sure what that that, that means $22,000 a year for the foreseeable future, but um, it's extraordinary. But um, I'm Well, thinking, I don't I think, think anyone has objected to the fact that she's suffered psychological damage. I, I don't think there's any dispute in that. The dispute is, is whether Seven are liable for that as the production company, and the Workers' Compensation Commission has said they are. Well, that's right. And, and and it also says, I think in their statement they said about the settlement, they're just making a point that it wasn't a settlement. So they didn't come to any agreement on this. Their hand was actually tied. And then what was the second part? It was it was no settlement. The, the no lump sum payment. So realistically, they're, and they're saying it's ongoing, which if you read between the lines means, yes, they are paying a $22,000 a year. They're not doing a whole five-year lump sum payment or maybe not even paying the 22000 Maybe they're doing it over 52 weeks or paying her monthly. And um, so therefore it is ongoing. So that's right. But the judgment has been ruled. Look out! Look out for the next uh, fifty people that are going to put in claims. Now this is going to be huge. That's exactly what I was just going to say. It's like, is this going to open the floodgates to anyone that feels they've been wronged in a reality show? Going, oh, hang on, they painted a bad picture of me here. I'm going to go for psychological damage. Like, I think it's 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 got the the makings of a you know a bit of a powder keg potentially. If, if but Sarah, it, is that a problem? If if the net, if these production companies have done the wrong thing. And I'm not making a judgment one way or other, but the Workers' Compensation Commission here says she has a claim. Then each and every reality TV contestant through the course of time have a right to have their case heard. That's true. And that's why, like last week I said, we're going to get to the point where we don't have civilians on reality TV anymore. Or they're going to do a thing where you don't get paid. I mean, I'm surprised they only get $500 a week. That seems kind of cheap. Um, but, uh, yeah, like they're either going to be like, you're not getting paid or they're going to have strict rules about like, this is, you know, you're an independent contractor, you're only going to get paid and you have to sign an indemnity thing that you can't sue them afterwards, no matter what they do to you. I think it's going to get very, very sketchy because they don't want things. And then the other problem is, right, is maybe you were edited badly or maybe you just think that you were edited badly because everyone always thinks unless they get a glowing review that someone said that they were shit so you know were you painted badly is it affecting your ability to get future jobs like i mean 
on below deck, nobody, no, the reason they all keep coming back season after season is because nobody on a yacht will hire them after they've been on that show. Cause I had like, when we lived in a super yacht marina, everyone was like, you know, they, the producers would come around and ask everyone on those boats. And they were like, hell no, I'd like to have a long career here. I don't want to be a reality TV star and never work again. And I've only seen two people on boats that were on that show and they only did one season each and they didn't have sex with anyone on the boat. Um, so <laughs> they were like boring people and they weren't cast again, but that's what kept their careers. So, I mean, I think that, I think it's going to be a whole, it's going to be a whole mess for a while. And I think we're going to go back to having a lot of celebrity shows mm. because celebrities aren't going to sue because they just, they know how to play the game. Mm. Maybe uh, what should become required viewing for everyone that wants to apply to a reality show is, I don't know if you've ever heard Marion Farrelly, who used to be EP of Big Brother in the UK and was EP here in Australia mm -hmm. for, for quite a few series. She gives a speech about, here's all the reasons you don't want to become a reality star. You're going to lose friends. You're going to lose family. You're going to lose your ability to uh, get a job in the future, potentially. And, like, she gives all these reasons. Um, and that's, that's the fact. Like, as you say, like, the below deck people can't, get jobs on other boats once they've done it. Maybe people's eyes need to be open to the reality of reality television. I mean, everyone wants to be Insta-famous and they think that it's great, but they don't realise... It's like they should just show pictures of former child stars yeah. and say, look at how screwed up these people are because they're not prepared for being released into the world once they turn 18. And you are an essentially an adult child star like, you know, who's going to be thrust out there, mm -hmm. you're not going to be able to cope with it. Or like lottery winners where, you know, they, they don't know how to cope and they lose all their money. It's, it's essentially the same mm. thing because they're not prepared for what's coming. And it's also worth remembering very few people find fame on reality TV or sustainable fame. Yeah. There are very few contestants who have gone on to have actual media careers and many who are still trying and still not getting there. Yeah. All right. Well, there's been a big shake-up in the ratings race with Seven taking out the top spot last week. The win came thanks to a strong finish for Dancing with the Stars, the launch of Big Brother and the AFL. Seven had a 30% network share in the five cap cities, followed by nine on 27.5. MasterChef has given 10 a boost and helped it secure the number three spot on 18.4, ahead of the ABC on 16.1 and SBS on 8. Although in primary channel shares, 10 was again behind the ABC. Aaron, this week we've seen MasterChef overtake Big Brother. That must be a welcome relief for 10. Oh, absolutely. And they've also got, um, we're not going to get the ratings numbers in by the time the end of this broadcast, but have you been paying attentions back? So they've got a good flowing show out of uh, MasterChef as well, and they've got How to Stay Married uh, for Tuesday nights as well. So 10 uh, definitely, well, hopefully back in the game. Uh, we said once maths was over um, that 7 would, would do better, and, of course, they have. They won Network Primary, um, Breakfast, uh, News, the whole lot, um, and Demos as well. Uh, nine obviously still competitive. Lego Masters um, is still still big. Um, Doctor Doctor hovering around 400, 500k, which people again are going to say that Australian drama is dead. Where else? Where I would say that I just don't watch the show because it's not very good. But um, yeah, uh, it's ten, seven, and ten picking up now. Yeah, they are, and it'll be interesting to see whether they can sustain that. Obviously, MasterChef has been under a lot of pressure this year. It hasn't fired as well as last year, Rod. So, you know, ten. this is one of 10's biggest products, and to be honest, it needs to be doing better. 
Yeah, and look, Tim would be very happy with the fact that MasterChef's overtaken Big Brother. The other thing I look at the ratings that I find concern for Big Brother is how the numbers have dropped and how with Wednesday night last week, uh, Hard Quiz beat both of them. So all power to Tom Gleeson and the, the, the Hard Quiz team, but that's got to be a concern for both MasterChef and Big Brother. Hasn't it? Yeah, but seven and seven and ten still have a good message in the fact that their ratings are up. Mm. You know, compared to previous weeks, you know their ratings are up, and that will be the message they sell. Yes, they would want them to be better. Yeah. Isn't that funny that we look at now not so much who's winning it, but it's about how much you haven't lost compared to last year. So when you when you look at, when you, when you look at last year, uh, MasterChef and Lego Masters are down about forty percent on last year. Wow. And, and Big Brother is down around 20%. So, you know, it's like champagne corks at 7 because Big Brother's only down 20% compared to, say, MasterChef at 40%, which is just a funny way. I mean, that is one way of looking at it, but it's just a funny way now because we're not looking at the positives, you know, who's winning it. But we only lost 20% from last year compared to someone else losing 40%. It's just a shame, really. Well, with the new reporting measures they want to bring in where we have to wait seven days for a result... Um, that is all about boosting numbers. And that's what that is designed to do so that they can hopefully be talking about uh, a million viewers again. So, you know, they're going to use every trick that they can. I think the loss of overnight data is going to affect the um, TV networks. I don't think they will be the big topic of discussion that they currently are. You know, it feels old. If we're reporting about the the maths final that aired a week ago... People have moved on. Mm. We're in such Old a twenty-four news. hour news yep. cycle. I, I just don't I just don't know how a seven day week reporting, and if that's all it is, is is going to work. And also, yeah, the, the the networks are having their cake and eating it too by saying we're not about all people, but realistically the big numbers we want to get out there are all people. You look at the demos and, and do they really want to use figures of 150, 200,000 when they're talking about 25 to 54s? Because that's the kind of numbers that are watching primetime TV. So, you know, those numbers aren't being heralded because they sound pathetic, actually, compared to what we've known for TV figures. I think I think there's a lot of spin going on here as the, as the industry tries to deal with the fact audiences are declining and how they can spin their way out of it. I think we've got a long way to go on that one. Yep. All right. Is Magda Sabansky's career in trouble? That's the question many are asking in the TV industry after Channel 9 delayed the premiere of her new series, The Weakest Link. As Kevin Perry reported on the TV Black Box website, the series was meant to be airing by now, but has been pushed back. Channel 9 says the delay is due to a tight production schedule, but the news comes at a troubling time for the much-loved comedian, who has come under fire for her perceived attack on the Prime Minister's wife, Jenny. In the tweet, which was in reaction to the Prime Minister signing a condolence book for Queen Elizabeth following the death of her husband, Prince Philip, Magda said, I genuinely thought this was a photoshopped Handmaid's Tale meme, but no, it's 21st century Aussie life. The backlash was instant and led to her defending herself on a current affair. What stunned me was that this was such a non-event, non-comment. It was a comment about the photo, which I genuinely thought was a meme. So I was a bit staggered that I got drawn into this over such a nothing observation. So do I think that um, um, a pile-on um, of Jerry Mor- uh, Jenny Morrison about her appearance is appropriate? Absolutely not. But 
do I think it is legitimate to criticise her or have a critique of her? Yes, I do, because she is the Prime Minister's wife. She's not the First Lady. We don't use that term here. She's the Prime Minister's wife. That is, a, you can opt in or out of public life. And, and Scott Morrison frequently uses her almost as a policy advisor. As he says, I spoke to Jenny about this. I spoke to her about that. So... Really, if she's going to have some sort of influence in public life, I want to know what are her values, what kind of a woman is she? That interview was widely derided, with some commentators even going so far as to label it a monumental own goal. So, with so much controversy surrounding her as she becomes more vocal in her opinions, is Magda still bankable, Aaron? Is she a star? Well, she she's definitely she's definitely a star. Um, she's an Australian icon. Um, but I think the real story for me is because I mean I have to say something. I'm a huge, huge, huge fan of the weakest link. Um, I love the Corny Francis version. Um, absolutely. I've seen a few episodes of the British version, but when they um said they were doing an American version with Jane Lynch. Um, I've been I've watched every single episode of that, and I've been talking to someone at the networks about this should come to Australia. This should come to Australia. This is fantastic. Bring it back. This is guaranteed ratings. It's the whole lot. So I've been in, involved in this, and I, I had another host in mind, which wasn't Magda. But so I don't have a problem with Magda. I think she's a great, great um, host, and she's a great person. But she is totally, totally wrong host for this particular show. It's an awful choice. And the promos that Nine are sending out for this, <laughs> they seriously, they stink like poo. Um, it's going to rate awfully. Um, and that's obviously going to be the format done in Australia finish, which is a real shame because I love this show. I think it's great. The slot was going to be um, after their tent pole show, which was Lego Masters. So it was going to finish at 10 o'clock at night. This is a total screw-up with or without the Magda ACA meme comment at all. But this is a monumental screw-up. The promo is the worst ever and i know rob you've worked in promos please tell me that you wouldn't put something like that to air it was terrible i think the promos have been woeful and it's funny you say that i agree the show is the actual bigger issue here we live in a free society we're allowed to have comments i don't think mainstream australia is paying too much attention to what magda put on twitter and the uproar that that's caused i don't think that's a major issue but let's have a listen to the promo because seriously i got some comments Eight people who think they're the smartest in Australia are about to compete for a huge cash prize. Annoyingly, one of them will be the winner. Thankfully, there will be seven losers. Magda Shabansky. You are the weakest link. All new weakest link. Goodbye. Coming to nine. Oh, my God. She's was that a real a, promo? Yeah. It was a real Unfortunately, promo. Unfortunately, it's, it's cringy. She is wearing cringy. a blonde bob cut wig, and I swear to God, it looks like a fast-forward piss take. Mm. She looks like a character Chanel. Remember Chanel? I expected the, you know, oh, we are doing the weakest link. You know, like, it, it, it just, seriously, it looks like it should be a skit on fast-forward, not for Channel 9's biggest, one of their big 10 pole well, shows. Well, maybe or- they're, they're pushing it back, not because she's controversial, but just because the show sucks. Just the, the problems I've got with this, and I know that it's the way the weakest link was always produced, but... 
Magda's an actress, and there's a difference between an actress and a presenter. And I know Cornelia Francis was an actress, and Jane Lynch. I but think it needed. Cornelia I, did it brilliantly. Absolutely. Cornelia's absolutely. character on air was a bitch. Yeah. But trying to manufacture Magda into this character, she just is the wrong, like, uh, she's the wrong fit for it. I love Magda. I love everything she's done on screen. But when I saw that they'd cast her for this, like, it, it instantly felt wrong. It's like, no, you need, you need, a, you need a presenter in there, not an actress. You, you know yeah. they were thinking Lego Masters with Hamish, how he's sort of the anti-host, but what they've done is they've taken the anti-host and put them into the role where they need to be the mean bitch, and that's not Magda's brand, mm. even with the latest controversy. Yeah. She's sort of down to earth. If, that, if, she, if she had been herself and said, you're the weakest link, off your pop, you know, like, or something like that, you could almost buy it. But her trying to be Cornelia Francis with a blonde wig. Yeah, just let it, her be herself. Yeah, 100%. And, and again, the problem I've got with so many things, overproduce her and play this, this character that she's not. It's like, mm. you know, if, if the promo is anything that's indicative of how the show is going to be produced, it's like, oh, God, yeah. you know, I, there, I fear for them all. There was an absolutely number one choice for this role, a strong woman, a strong lead in there. And I've said it before, if that had have been Gretel Colleen hosting the Weakest Link, I'm, yeah. I'm guaranteeing a 700,000 figure Absolutely. for that show. Absolutely. Gretel Colleen, that would be yep. perfect. Totally agree. I agree with you, Aaron, on yep. that one. Me too. Now, I think the other problem with Magda is, and I think the reason people jumped on her tweet, it's not because of anything she said about the Prime Minister's wife, although I disagree about the Prime Minister's wife not having a choice in whether she's a public figure. Because I think if you're married to the Prime Minister... You are a public fear the girl, Absolutely. whether you want to be or not. Like, that's just incorrect. It's just yeah. like, you know, Melania didn't really want to be, but it doesn't matter because the first lady is forced into that job. But um, I digress. And but we're going back. Okay. So uh, Magda's the, the, the face of like the COVID masking campaign. And you've got so many people who are anti-COVID. Um, you know, who think it doesn't exist or who don't want to be masked or don't want to be vaccinated, who don't want to participate in this. And I think a lot of those people were just probably looking for something for her to say that they could pick on because science. Um, and Um, And so, you know, like those people were just looking for something and this was an easy target. Um, and so I wonder if also this, the network is worried that all of those people will be boycotting the show because of her role in that job. Look, well, she had done that before. This was the controversy they tried to fix with The Current Affair, which gave um, some right-wing columnists, columnists a, a another push with the story and the narrative. Um, I think her tweet has completely been blown out of proportion. There was nothing wrong with that. As you say, they were looking for a hit job. But the biggest problem here is the actual show. All right, plenty still to come, including our chat with Sam Mack, but now it's time for Hatches and Dispatches with Sarah. Thanks, Rob. Seven's upcoming Spotlight interview with Craig McLaughlin may be forced to screen a different version in Victoria due to upcoming court cases. As TV Tonight reports, McLaughlin was acquitted of all charges relating to the Rocky Horror Show allegations in December. But there's still a defamation suit against ABC and newspapers The Age and Sydney Morning Herald, which could mean a different edition may screen in Victoria with geo-blocking online. Seven West Media has signed agreements with Google and Facebook, which will see the two tech companies pay to publish news from the media company. The deal with Google has been finalised, will run for five years, and comes off the back of SWM signing a letter of intent for the agreement in February. The deal with Facebook is awaiting final sign-off. 
Locally owned streaming platform Stan is continuing its build upon commitment to Australian drama with the announcement of its next original series, Wolf Like Me. The six-part, half-hour drama series will star Josh Gad from Frozen, Beauty and the Beast and actor award-winning Australian actress Isla Fisher and will begin production in Australia in the coming months. And Philip Williams has farewelled the ABC after a brilliant 40-year career. Williams's distinguished journalism career has spanned 46 years, 40 of them spent at the ABC, the past five as chief foreign correspondent, a role created especially for him. He has decided it's time to unpack his bags for a bit and spend some time with his family and his farm. And that is this week's Hatches and Dispatches. Thank you very much, Sarah. Coming up in a moment, Sam Mack, a big interview on the transition from Wake Up to Sunrise Weather Girl. And we'll open the TV binge box and find out what everyone's been watching. You're listening to TV Black Box. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Well, we've seen him on our screens across the networks, but most famously as the weatherman on Sunrise. But now we get a more personal look into Sam Mack's life with the release of his autobiography, Accidental Weatherman. I recently spoke to Sam on the Ange, Rob and Robber show. Rob, thank you very much for having me. Um, great to be on. Mate, this is a great book. I'm a big fan. What's it like to be an author? Well, it's one of those things that I didn't realise how much it would mean to me to officially be an author until I officially became an author. So there was something about sending through that final manuscript where it was all approved and the publisher was on board where they wrote back to me, they said, congratulations, you're an author. <laughs> and I just remember having this moment of, oh, my God, I want to tell the world that I'm an author. So I had some business cards printed. Uh, even now when I go to order a Boost Juice, when they ask for your name at Boost Juice, I, say, I just say author. So they're at uh, Watermelon uh, Mango for uh, author, author, and I'll put my hand up. Um, yeah, I'm telling the world about it. It's very exciting. Well, I remember you putting out a tweet talking about a book, and I will be honest, I thought it was a piss take. <laughs> that's, the, that's the problematic um, position I'm in right now, where people think that most things I'm doing is a piss take. And look, a lot of them are. I'd say maybe 80% of things I do are a piss take. But no, this is a real book. You've got it in your hand. It's a living, breathing thing. The other thing, I've also started wearing a beret since I became an author <laughs> and wearing a monocle. So I'm really committed. I love it. Mate, you love TV. You love it. You're like me. You're, you're a fan of the industry and, and what goes up on that screen. What is it like to be working on a show like Sunrise, which is the pinnacle of breakfast TV? It is a different adventure every day. I love that I don't know what's going to happen some days. I'm not a big over planner, which can give many producers <laughs> nightmares. <laughs> In the moment, I like to trust that the guests, whether it's a kid at a primary school or a senior person at a retirement village, I like to give them their moment to let them be themselves. And then obviously, if things go wrong, it's up to me to kind of, all right, weave my way out of that or embrace when things go wrong. That's another thing that I talk about in the book. 
I love when things go wrong. Most of our best, mm. most memorable moments on Sunrise have been things going wrong. It's all about how you handle it. I sometimes went out on the road with Monique Wright uh, for crosses across Australia. Luckily, we weren't doing it five days a week. It's a tough slog when you're out there and you're trying to make sure you've got unique content every day. Does it take a bit of a toll on you? It does. I've got an incredible producer um, who features in the book. There's a chapter about my producer, Sean Flynn, a.k.a. Yeah. the human emoji, which is his, yeah, that's his nickname. He's almost become a quasi-celebrity. In fact, we were at Tamora um, on our travels a few months back and he got stopped. He was in Woolworths and a lady shouted out, human emoji, can I get a selfie? So, <laughs> so he's become a celebrity now, which I love because I have been the mastermind behind that. I started calling him the human emoji because he looks like the emoji of the circular head with the bald guy with the big glasses and the smile. I mean, he's a very attractive man, um, but he, he does look like an emoji, let's be honest. So I started calling him that in my first year, and it took a couple of years, but then the host started calling him it, everyone around the office started calling him it, and now the viewers recognise him and they love getting selfies with him, stopping him at the airport, and they shout out emoji to him all the time. So he is an amazing producer. Yes, he's part of the fun of the show, but he, like you, like me, lives and breathes TV. The chapter about him is just called Emoji, and it is a homage to the work, but also the skill that he has. He's an amazing people person, and I'm yet to meet someone who has a bad word to say about him. He he earns fans all over the country. He's, he's, his attention to detail is incredible, and he's mad, which is the best thing, because he's, he's open to my ideas. So I can throw crazy <laughs> ideas, and he'll find a way to do a version of that idea. Now... You really um, have been through the highs and lows. You worked on a show called Wake Up, and that's where I first met you, Adam Boland's Wake Up. Uh, it was a rocky road, and that show ended up being cancelled. What was it like going through the turmoil of that and then finding yourself on Sunrise? What was the Wake Up experience like? Well, Wake Up was an exciting time. You know, you were there. It was this, um, it was a big moment for Channel 10 to have, you know, local, our own breakfast shows, live breakfast shows. We set it up at Manly. That's me. That's me on the roof of Channel 10 holding, holding a sign I made out of a bed sheet because we had no budget for billboards. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Oh, yes, I also brought back the kazoo. So there is a legacy to wake up. Um, you know, we, we a lot of boxes at Carling. I get similar reactions from Nat Barr these days. <laughs> I'd forgotten about all this stuff. Wow, you've dug deep. You've got quite an archive system there, Rob. I'm impressed. That's We've got good producers uh, too, mate. Really with one of our producers, yeah. Um, look, Wake Up For Me was a great chance to dip my toe in breakfast TV. I love live TV. I don't care what time of the day it is. Live TV excites me. Um, so this was a great opportunity for me to get in there and do something live. In a sense, I was a little bit off-Broadway with that because I wasn't yeah. one of the main stars. I wasn't even a weather guy. I was literally just a correspondent, which makes me sound way too formal and way too um, <laughs> professional. But I would do live crosses at various events. I would sometimes go into the studio. And I wish that that show had longer to find its feet. I really do, because some talented people worked on it and people put a lot of work into it. But the nature of TV, unfortunately, is if something isn't rating, then your days can be numbered. Um, so in terms of the Sunrise experience, completely different because Sunrise is an established show, established brand. It's been dominating for decades. So to go into that was a huge opportunity. But I approached it with a similar approach that I took into Wake Up, which was to just try to do things a little bit differently, take risks and be open to things going wrong. But hopefully that will make you, that will bring more interesting TV.
Mate, in your book, you write about some really personal and emotional connections you've established, particularly with the viewers of Sunrise who've shared their stories with you. Does that ever get overwhelming? Yes, absolutely. There's a chapter in the book on mental health. Um, yeah. I'm an Are You OK Day ambassador. That's why I wear the, the yellow wristband every day. I've, I've spoken about that on the show. Um, I've been an Are You OK Day ambassador for around six or seven years now. I lost a friend, Richard Marsland, who a number of people in the media would know, very talented writer, performer. Uh, we lost him uh, around 12 years ago. And I think that, I, I guess I learned about mental health through that experience. And and I wanted to dedicate a chapter to him and to his beautiful family in Adelaide. And I was lucky enough to catch up with Richard's parents, uh, Alison and Peter, late last year as I was finishing the book. So I got a bit of an insight to how, they, how they're going, what they've learned through the experiences of losing Richard. Um, and it's something that I love that I can use my platform, whether it's social media or whether it's the show Sunrise, to encourage more men to have these conversations. And, mm. and I feel that I'm not going to change the world, but if I keep chipping away, then I'm going to play a part in helping to destigmatize those conversations about mental health. And I, and I do get, when you talk about overwhelming, yes, whenever I talk about mental health or the Richard situation on the show, I need to brace myself because I'm going to get probably a couple of hundred personal messages, direct messages or Facebook messages over the next couple of days. And that's heavy. I've had people, I've had a woman wrote to me and said that she was planning to hang herself. It doesn't come much heavier than that. No. You need to take that very seriously, which I do. And I, I'm very upfront. I'm not a, a professional. I'm not a psychiatrist and I'm not going to be your counsellor. But I can definitely give you some thoughts and, and hopefully guide you in the direction of having conversation and getting that kind of help. So it's something that I'm very proud of. I'm proud that it's in the book. It's, it was the hardest chapter to write in the book, but it's the most important chapter in the book. It's an interesting aspect, mate, because... When you hear this and you hear how you're affecting people, it does put... Uh, uh, burden is the wrong word, but it can have an impact on you. But the flip side is the joy you bring people. I've seen it throughout my career, and I've worked on Sunrise as well, and I've seen lots of letters from people mm -hmm. saying how how the, the shows that I've worked on has kept them alive and brought them joy and has been a companion. We in the television industry sometimes underestimate the power of what we do. I agree completely. I had another great example of exactly what you're talking about, um, a police, former police officer who has very severe PTSD, Victorian guy, who wrote to me and said pretty much what you just said. He said, look, at my darkest time, I would watch your segments on Sunrise and your, your silly jokes and your energy would just give me something to smile about or to look forward to at the start of each day. And he said often starting the day was the hardest part for him. So he just had that little positive and it was also a routine for him. And he came down and he met me at one of my crosses in Geelong and he'd written to me a couple of times and I said, yeah, of course, if we're in Geelong, come and say hello. And he did and he's like, I don't want to be on camera. I don't want to be on TV. I just want to shake your hand and say thank you for what you do. He said, I know you're doing it and it's your job and it's your career, but you've had a real positive influence in my life. And now I'm at a point where I can actually go, I have the confidence to go and apply for other jobs again and that's so rewarding for me I, I love those experiences and and I think I used to do breakfast radio and there is something extremely powerful about that time of the day because there's an intimacy that comes with breakfast TV and breakfast radio. Yeah. So, for example, people watching Brecky TV, you know, they're getting their kids ready for the school. They've just got out of bed. They're having their morning coffee. And it's the first face or the first voice that they hear at the start of a day. So there's an element of trust that comes with that. And in time, the, there's a very powerful connection because you're at your most vulnerable early in the morning. So if you're trusting a face or a voice into your space at that time of the morning, then that, that's a huge compliment. And I never take that for granted. And I think 
because I'm the mobile part of our show, I meet these people face to face. I shake their hands. I go to their schools. I go to their workplaces. I look them in the eye and I get that genuine passion that people have. And particularly for sunrise, I, I underestimated the power of sunrise. You know, I knew about sunrise and I'd watched little bits of it. When I took the job, I noticed almost instantly within a few weeks, months of starting, just people approached me in a different way and people looked at me differently, but in a positive way. And, and you know, the, the term gets thrown around and it's a bit of a cliche, but the sunrise family, but when you're in it, you do feel that. You really oh, feel that. Absolutely. I feel that our viewers have our back. Absolutely. And on the flip side of all that seriousness is the fun, like getting nominated for a gold Logie and becoming one of the poster boys for the Daily Mail. They love you, mate. You must really <laughs> rate well on that website. <laughs> well, it was always my dream to become clickbait. So <laughs> <laughs> no, look, I, I embrace it because... 90% of it I find funny. I really do. Like, I find those long-worded, long ridiculous headlines thoroughly amusing, and I share them on my social media. And I, I think that, like, they're doing their job and they've got a job to do, and for the most part, they've been, they've been great to me. Um, there's definitely a few articles which I don't love and is maybe a little bit too personal, but I just ignore that. You can't control everything that people write about you. Um, and honestly, like, there was one the other day which was, I, I changed my scarf in every cross, but for no apparent reason. I just wanted to wear my scarf in a different style in each cross, and I knew that ultimately I'd cut together like a little montage for Instagram. They ran a story about that, asking if anyone noticed it, and I don't think anyone did or cared, but I love that they ran a story on that, and now I'm not only accidental weatherman, I'm accidental style icon. <laughs> well, mate, as, as someone who's made a few appearances in the Daily Mail, it's a double-edged sword, but on the whole, it's all fun, and uh, they're a good bunch of people. I... I from my point of view anyway. Hey, if you want to read some hilarious behind-the-scenes stories of the entertainment industry and see a whole new side to Sam, check out his brand-new autobiography, Accidental Weatherman. This is what it looks like. Sam, thank you for being on the Ange Robin Robbo Show. Absolute pleasure. Thank you, Rob. And you can see the full video of that interview by going to facebook.com slash the ARR show. Now it's time to find out what everyone's been watching. And this week, Aaron, we're starting with you. Well, Rod, you'd be happy to know lots of uh, Big Brother. Absolutely loving this show. The twists. Oh, my goodness. It's so good. Um, I watched um, Have You Been Paying Attention? Because we're uh, recording this on Tuesday, so I watched, watched that last night. It is so, 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 so good to have this show back. What a lovely way to spend a Monday night. The gang are back in the studio, and they are absolutely sharper than ever. What a fantastic show. Um, How to Stay Married. Um, not the funniest show ever, but there's something about Pete Hellier. He's, um, he just really has heart, so I definitely would promote that one. Um, and I've just been watching a lot of YouTube uh, game show stuff because I'm interviewing um, for my next uh, podcast with TV Black Box, Tony Barber, that we'll all, all remember from um, Sound oh, of the Century. Oh, excellent. Sound of the Century and stuff. So, um, yeah, just been watching some really old clips from the 70s and the 80s and stuff. So that's been my watching. Sarah, what about you? Oh, my God. So Twitter said that uh, Hulu had dropped Handmaid's Tale a day early. So I rushed onto Hulu. We watched like three episodes and then we were like, wait, where's the rest? 
Um, <laughs> because apparently they don't understand in 2021 that you have to give us all the episodes at once and we want to binge it, not that we want it fed to us week after week after week. And so I was hugely disappointed, along with 95% of the rest of Twitter who said, fuck you, I'll wait until it's all dropped and I'll just won't watch the spoilers or anything and I'll just binge it. Um, so uh, that was it. <laughs> I just watched the four episodes. <laughs> Rod, what have you been watching? Well, I made the same mistake with Mayor of Easttown. Uh, started watching that when uh, first saw promos, and I expected to binge watch it. When it's like, oh no, there's one episode you're going to wait till next Monday to see the next one. I thought, fuck, really? Yeah, it's <laughs> so I, I wish I hadn't watched it. I wish I thought, no, I think I'd wait, waited till it was all there. Sorry, Sarah, what was that? It's, do they think it's 1991? Exactly. No. What is this? You know, drop the whole lot. So I'm almost trying to wean myself off it so that I'll wait till they're all out. Then I can binge watch it. But uh, whilst waiting for the next episode of Mayor of Easttown, I've been watching a lot of Big Brother because, as you all know, it's a format near and dear to my heart. No, I don't work on it anymore. But I really want to see it win. I, I want to see it succeed. I want to see it survive. Uh, do I think this thing's wrong with it? Yes. For those that would say, oh, if you don't like it, don't watch it. Well, the fact is I love the format. I don't want to see it die. And um, look, I've, I've got bucket loads of notes. I've watched every episode, I think, three times, thinking about what's wrong with it. And I could I could do a whole <laughs> podcast about... Don't get me wrong. I, I, I love the cast. The house is great. I would like to see it change a bit more this year round. But the simplest thing I could get down to say what they've got to do is Sunday night's episode, in the first two segments, there were 16... Oh, my gods. Now, that's just wasted <laughs> screen time. And, like, when you're delivering 76 minutes of content, 16, oh, my gods, in the first two segments. I sat there and counted them. I think I actually missed a few even. Because, it, to, to me, they're trying to produce it with, with feature film uh, production values pretty well. But really, like with so many Australian productions, they don't get the script right. And the script for Big Brother's coming out of the mouths of the housemates. And if the best bits of the script that's coming out of 16, oh my gods, for the first two segments, no. Whoever's the story producers, <laughs> look harder, find better bits. And like, if you get rid of all the oh my gods, and the other things is, uh, oh, such and such is playing the game. Well, he's a player. He's, of course, you're all in there fucking playing the game. And I'm not blaming the, the cast of the housemates. I'm, I'm blaming the, the, the story producers. Get rid of all that shit. Put a bit of it there. But if you get rid of all that, you, we can have more time to see the interactions between the housemates, which, yes, this series, we're getting a lot more of. And I'm loving that. I want to see more of it. And, you know, Anyway, I'll shut up because, as I say, I could go on for ages about it. I've watched Rod, a lot of Big I, I Brother reruns. To, <laughs> Rod, I think you need to do an opinion piece for the TV Black Box website. Uh, All right, we'll I'll do it. I've, I've got so much content here, and I thought, no, this, this, anyway. There you go. That'll be coming to tvblackbox.com.au very shortly. I've been watching Big Brother and loving it. Um, I've, I, I've got to say, a big shout-out to The Weekly with Charlie Pickering. I love this show. It's one of those shows every week I just have to watch. I think it's great. It explains the week in news. It also explains bigger issues. I think the production values are great. Hats off. Seriously, I think it's a great show. I've watched a new show on Netflix called Shadow and Bone. I'm only one and a bit episodes in, but I've got to say, loving it. If you like Game of Thrones and, and sort of stuff with a mystical element, this is really good and is setting up enough mystery for me to wonder where multiple storylines are going. Really, really enjoyable. Uh, the Circle USA has been a real treat. It finishes this week. Uh, my daughter and I especially uh, just can't wait for the finale. We are so loving that. Um, I got I wish Mulk was here this week because I really want to take you to task, Mr. Mulk. I watched 
Patriot Brains on your advice from last week. It was the biggest load of shit. Uh, I I looked hard, I looked wide, I went on a mission mission searching for a laugh. It was try hard, it was desperate, it was lazy. I didn't think it was funny in the slightest. So that's a big bomb bomb from me. So next time Mulk's on, I'm sure we'll have a discussion about that. And look... If you liked the movie Soul on Disney+, Plus, there's a little feature called 22 vs. Earth on Disney+. Plus. It's only six minutes. It's just a little offshoot. I spoke to the director last week about, um, you know, the making of these things. And, and it's really interesting, the people at Disney, how they get to make these offshoots from feature films and how there's a different load of pressures as opposed to when you're making the feature film. And you can tell this one was just from the heart and was just a lovely little story. So if you did like Soul, go and check out 22 vs. Earth. And that brings us to the end of this week's edition of the TV Black Box. Don't forget, for all the latest news, go to tvblackbox.com.au and subscribe to the new newsletter by going to tvblackbox.com.au slash newsletter. It's as simple as that. Sarah, Aaron and Rod, thank you so much. We'll see you all next week. Bye. See you, everyone. Bye. Bye. 